So years later, Samson's grown up. And Samson went down to Timnah. Now Timnah is here in Philistine territory. This map doesn't quite show it, but all this part is Philistine territory. And Timnah is smack dab in the middle of Philistine territory. So he's hanging out in Timnah. And the fact that he goes down there suggests that this might be a regular occasion. So he's hanging out in Timnah, the Philistine territory, and a girl caught his eye. When he got home, he told his father and mother, a Philistine girl in Timnah has caught my eye. Now get her for my wife. But his father and mother said to him, certainly you can find a wife among your relatives or among your people. You should not have to go out and get a wife from these uncircumcised Philistines. Even the dim-witted parents seem to understand you should not marry the Philistines. But remember, this guy who wants to marry a Philistine was raised by these parents. Certainly you can find a wife, or sorry, but Samson said to his father, get her for me because she is the right one for me. She's the one. Now his father and mother did not realize that this was Yahweh's doing because he was looking for an opportunity to stir up trouble with the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines were ruling in Israel. Now this is an interesting statement. God, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, has clearly forbidden intermarriage with any of these people groups. And to intermarry with them is a violation of the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant. Yet Samson wants to marry a Philistine. His parents at least know that you're not supposed to marry a Pharisee. And the narrator tells you, but this is what God wanted. The question is, why in the world has God very strongly, forcibly, under the penalty of death, forbidden intermarriage with Philistines and Canaanites. And yet the narrator is now telling you, hey, but God actually wanted this to happen. Now God does not change his mind on laws. So what is going on? Samson's got a temper. And whenever he doesn't get what he wants, he does what? He kills people. Whenever he doesn't get what he wants, he throws a tantrum. And because he's a big guy and a grown adult, when he throws tantrum, people die. That's why God starts little kids off in little bodies. So when they throw tantrums, people don't die. He throws tantrums and people die. Here's the thing, if you really pay attention to the story, does he actually end up marrying the girl? No. He gets so angry, throws a tantrum, ruins the wedding, kills people, and walks away and never has a chance to marry the girl. This is what it looks like when this is all that God has to use. What does God want to do for Israel? Deliver them from the Philistines. Is Samson going down and conquering the Philistines for the right reason and obedience to God? No. So what does God do? He uses Samson in the way that Samson functions. And he knows He's not saying that God approved of it and was okay with the marriage and the desire. It says that God was using it as an opportunity to confront the Philistines. That's a very big difference. It never says God's approved of his desire, approved of the marriage. It says that God was behind it because he was using it as an occasion to confront the Philistines. He knows that Samson's not going to make it through the wedding He's going to get angry because he's easily offended and he's going to fly off the handle. He's going to kill the Philistines. He's not doing it for the right reason, but it's still accomplishing God's will. <laughs> and remember, this is what God says all throughout the Bible. I lift up kings and I lower kings and I do this all for my purpose. It doesn't matter whether they're godly or not. 
Joseph says it's about the brothers. The brothers were not obeying God. They were not doing it for God's glory. They were trying to kill their brother. Joseph says what you intended for good, evil, God intended for good. Meaning that God used you in these circumstances. God used Potiphar's wife's betrayal over me, another person that was not mentioned by name. And God makes it very clear that I can use anything I want, even if your motives are impure. Because even though there may be no godly people to use, nothing can stop the word and the will of God. He will accomplish his purpose, even if there's no godly people to use, period. And if he has to use our selfish motivation, he's going to do it. And so it's, he used this as an opportunity to confront the Philistines. That's the only reason. He's not proving he's using it. So what does Samson become in God's hand? Samson is God's biological hand grenade that he's going to throw into the door of the Philistines. And Samson's going to get ticked and offended, and he's going to explode and spin around like a bouncing Betty and wipe everybody out. That's what he is. That's what Samson is in the hands of God because Samson will not be anything else for God. He will not be obedient to God. He will not be faithful to God. So God has to use him in a different way to accomplish his deliverance. And this is very important. Just because God is using you does not mean you're good with God. Just because God is blessing you does not mean that you're good with God. How do you know when you're good with God? When you're seeking to know him and pursue him and honor him. Verse 5, Samson went down to Timnah, and when he approached the vineyard of Timnah, Timnah, he saw a roaring lion attacking him, and Yahweh's spirit empowered him, and he tore the lion in two with his bare hands as easily as one would tear a young goat. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. And this is one of my favorite lines in the entire Bible. He tore the lion apart as easily as one might tear a goat apart. How easy is it to tear a goat apart with your bare hands? Yeah, a young goat. Never mind, it's a young goat. Like, as easily as, like, is there a goat ripping contest in the Israelite Olympics? I, that's one of the questions. You guys have these big theological questions for God when you get to heaven. My question is, how easy is it to tear a young goat apart? That you would compare that to a lion. I mean, we would say, like, it's easy as, like, ripping a piece of paper or something like that. But no, as easy as ripping a goat in half with your bare hands. Now, it might be the fact that what he's saying is that this is amazing, that he actually could tear the lion apart. And it's, like, it's, it's, it's practically impossible to tear a young goat apart, let alone a lion trying to attack you. That's probably what's being implied here. And the other thing that's interesting is that this word for lion actually is a young lion. And a young lion is one of the most dangerous lions because a young lion is out to prove itself. Young lions are actually more vicious and more aggressive than any other type of lion because they're out trying to prove themselves, get their territory, and create their harem. And once they've done that and they've settled down, at that point they're only interested in hunting for food and protecting their territory. But this is like some young punk and going out and trying to prove that he's worthy for a gang. And that's the idea here. So, but notice something. The Spirit of Yahweh came upon Samson. He did what? He did not hesitate. He's completely oblivious to God, but at least he didn't hesitate. When he found, felt power rushing upon him, he went with it. This is the one thing. You're going to see this over and over and over again. Samson's the only 
judge other than Othniel who does not hesitate when the Spirit of God comes upon him. Kills the lion. But there's another question. Where does he kill the lion? In a vineyard. Why in the world is he in a vineyard? Maybe. Do we know that? Not for sure, but it asks questions. He's not allowed to eat grapes. Notice he's not with his mom and dad because it says he went back and he did not tell his mom and dad what happened. So they're both going down to Timnah to meet this woman, and he separates himself for whatever reason, goes off into a vineyard, which why in the world would he ever have a need to go into a vineyard when he's not allowed to eat grapes? This is like one day you're driving down the road, and I don't know, it's hard to miss. If you've ever driven anywhere near 270 in Cleveland Avenue, there's this strip club called Sirens and it looks like a UFO landing with all of his neon lights and you driving down there at night one day and you look over and there's your pastor getting out of the car (laughs) now has he done anything wrong no but is it immediately throw some yellow flags up in your head yes but he could have legitimate reasons maybe he had a flat tire and that was the quickest place to get into to pull off the road Maybe there's somebody in there who's sinning and doing something wrong, and they've called him up, and he's coming to rescue them. Maybe he's on his way to urgent care because they happen to share the same parking lot. <laughs> Although the urgent care is closed down now. So um, I always thought that was ironic. Um, so, but they've done nothing wrong, and you have no right to make assumptions or judge him for being there because there's nothing wrong with being there. However, you can't help but have questions. Why is he there? So the same thing with Samson. The narrator hasn't specifically told us that he's sinned, but why? I mean, all the things that the narrator leaves out all the time. We're never told where Cain, get, Cain, and Cain gets his wife. We're never told about lots of David's life. We're, there's so many details that are left out, and yet he mentioned he was in the vineyard. That's intentional. He's intentionally throwing yellow flags up in your head. And the fact that he does not tell his mom and dad. Why would he feel? I mean, my goodness, if you came back from ripping a lion apart, it means, means you've upgraded from goat ripping to lion ripping, and you're going to like be, Mom and Dad, I just le- leveled up to a greater ripping. You're going to want to share that. But he can't, because as great and as awesome as what God has done with him, because it's in the context of something shady, he can't share any of it for fear of the questions that will lead to greater details. He's either done something wrong and he knows it, or he's continuing on the ding-dongness. <laughs> Verse 7. Samson continued down to Timnah. He spoke to the girl, and in his opinion, she was just the right one. Better translation is that he spoke to the girl and decided that he liked her. He had never talked to her. He had been creeping on her in the distance. <laughs> He creeps on her from a distance and watches her, goes back to his parents and says, get her as my wife. Mom and dad go down to negotiate the marriage and arrange it, and then he talks for the first time and decides, hey, lucky me, I actually like her too. Which means his first original liking was totally based on image, shallow surface image. The same reason that Jacob was attracted to Rachel, not Leah. Leah had the character, the beautiful character, and Rachel had the beautiful body. This is all misguided here. Now, this isn't incredibly uncommon because a lot of marriages were arranged in the ancient world, but notice that this one's not arranged. This one is him deciding. And the fact that the narrator's pointing this out means it's significant. This guy is so shallow. 
So sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to see the lion's remains, and he saw a swarm of bees in the lion's carcass, as well as some honey. He scooped it up in his hands and ate it as he walked along. And when he returned to his father and mother, he offered them some, and they ate it. But they, he did not tell them that he had scooped the honey out of the lion's carcass. Now what's wrong here? He broke the vow. He touched a carcass. Now, some people are like, well, he could have reached in and scooped the honey out without touching the carcass. That's not how Levitical law works. Levitical law says that anything that's unclean, if it touches anything else, that thing automatically becomes unclean. It becomes what we would call contagious and transfers it. If you got a honeycomb in a carcass, the honeycomb is automatically unclean because it's touching the carcass. The honey in the comb automatically becomes unclean because it's touching the honeycomb. And Samson automatically becomes unclean by touching the honey. That's the way uncleanliness works. It's contagious. He touches a dead carcass, and what does he not do? He doesn't tell his parents, and he doesn't purify himself, shave his head, and go to the tabernacle and make sacrifices. He continues on like nothing happened. At this point, he either doesn't know what a Nazarite vow really is, or he does not care. Although he does know that his hair is important. We'll find that out later. But he's also making them unclean in a worse way. Well, he was, but they're allowed to eat the honey because they're not a Nazarite. But nowhere do they say, hey, son, you shouldn't be eating the honey. Now, maybe it's possible that he went behind the couch and snuck the honey first and then came and said, hey, parents, I was thinking of you, and didn't eat it in front of them. We don't know. But they're not unclean. But, however, are they unclean? They're not unclean from eating the honey, but they are unclean because the honey has touched carcass. Now, the dead carcass of the honey hasn't broke their Nazarite vow because they haven't made a Nazarite vow, but they are unclean. And they have to make ritual purification for seven days, not because of the honey, but because of the carcass. But they don't know they're ritually unclean because he didn't tell them where they got it. So not only has he broke his vow and made himself unclean and he's not repenting, but now he's made his parents unclean and they don't even know it. And if they actually do go to the tabernacle or try to sacrifice to God in the next week, they're going to be sinning and unclean and violating the tabernacle and they don't even know it. Verse 10. And Samson's father accompanied him to Timnah for the marriage, and Samson hosted a party there. For this was customary for the bridegrooms to do. When the Philistines saw that he had no attendance, like bride, or, um, groomsmen, they gave him 30 groomsmen who kept him company. You really can't um, company. He goes down, he has a wedding, and where did his groomsmen come from? The Philistines. Either Samson has no friends, which is possible as you keep reading the story and how Judah feels about him. Or it's none of his friends actually want to go to Philistine territory and be part of a wedding. Either way, the narrator is intentionally telling you there is nobody else from Israel there except for him and his parents. And even his parents know they shouldn't be there. And both trips to Timnah have had negative consequences, negative results. Samson said to them, I will give you a riddle. If you can really solve it during the seven days, now remember weddings were seven days long in the ancient world, I will give you 30 linen robes and 30 sets of clothes. But if you can solve it, can, um, can solve it, you will get, well, 
If you cannot solve it, you will give me 30 linen robes and 30 sets of clothes. They said to him, Let's hear your riddle. He said to them, Out of the one who eats came something to eat. Out of the strong one came something sweet. I know this riddle is obvious to us because we've read this story, but according to like English teachers and literary professors and stuff, this is an incredible riddle. It's well spoken, the syllables, the poetry, and the complicatedness of it all, yet the ability to figure it out. Samson is not an idiot, but when it comes to like everyday normal life decisions, <laughs> he doesn't really seem to have that. So he gives him a riddle. Now notice something. He's betting them 30 sets of clothes. Now, does he have that? No. no. And we're going to find out later, he definitely doesn't have it. But what's interesting is 30 sets of clothes, this isn't like in America. In the ancient world, you probably owned one, two probably, for you're going to the, the, the tabernacle or the temple or whatever, maybe a third one if you're wealthy. But that's it. This is like saying, I will bet you, and I'm going to bet you 30 trucks. <laughs> it's like, there's, there's no way I have that. Which means he is cocky. He is so confident that he's going to win this thing, that he bets what he doesn't have. And it's incredibly expensive to get this. They could not solve the riddle for three days. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's bride, trick your husband into giving a solution to the riddle. They were responsible for the premarital marriage counseling. <laughs> if you refuse, we will burn you up and you and your father's family. Did you invite us here to make us poor? No, I kind of invited you to celebrate my wedding. <laughs> so Samson's bride cried on his shoulder and said, you must hate me because you do not love me. You told the young men a riddle, but you have not told me the solution. Now think about it. Who do you invite to your wedding? Your closest friends and family members, the ones that you love and you really want them to be there to celebrate your greatest occasion. And the people that you think the most highly of and love the most that you invite your wedding have said, if you don't help us win this bet, we're going to burn you alive. What did you invite us here for? To make us poor? That's jacked up. <laughs> What's like one of the greatest moments of her life, getting married, something she's been looking forward to for a long time, and this is how it's working out. They're threatening to burn her. This is why God says the Canaanites are evil. Because it... it now you understand, like, if this is how they treat each other, no wonder they treat the Israelites like this. So she goes and nags him. And whines, if you really loved me, you would tell me. Now, in some ways she's right, but she does it through nagging manipulation. So this is a great beginning of a marriage. <laughs> so this is the fourth day of the wedding, and she's nagging, manipulating, crying, and trying to get him to tell the truth, or the, the riddle, and they're threatening to kill her and burn her down, and her father because we've got to throw them in there. And then he says, Look, I have not even told my own father or mother. Do you really expect me to tell you? <laughs> there is something about like leaving your mother and father and cleaving to your spouse and becoming one flesh. And, and Peter kind of talks about living in all understanding with each other. <laughs> Finally, on the seventh day, he told her because she had nagged him to too much. Not because he loved her and they wanted great communication, but because she just nagged him and he, she wore him down. 
On the seventh day before the sun set, the men of the city said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? He said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer of a wife, you would not solve my riddle. So on his wedding day, he literally calls his wife a cow. If you had not been in cahoots with my wife of a cow, or my cow of a wife, you would have never figured this out. Yahweh's spirit empowered him, and now here's God using this to accomplish his purpose. And he killed 30 men. Because he's not doing this for the right reasons. What is his motivation? Vengeance. And not even vengeance. Just spite. Anger for showing him up. Pride. He just he is unleashing his temper. It's the same reason your little kid gets mad at you and they can't do anything to you because they fear you too much so they kick the dog. Okay, The dog just happened to be there. So he goes out and he kills these Philistines, which fits into God's plan. However, this is not for the right reason. So Samson, for the first time, out of all these judges since Othniel, finally does not waste the Holy Spirit and doesn't hesitate, but he doesn't do it to glorify God or to deliver the Israelites. He does it for his own, I'm throwing a tantrum. So he goes out and he kills the 30 Philistines, gave it to them, and men and saw the riddle, and he was furious, so he went back home. Samson's bride was then given the best man. And we know a couple months go by, because later we're told during the harvest, and we, that most scholars think that there are a couple months went go by. This is your wedding day. He shows up at the wedding. Your guests threaten to kill her and burn her alive if she can't help them win a bet. So she turns her husband and nags him to death until he gives in. He then calls his wife a cow in front of all of them. He disappears on their wedding day, comes back covered in the blood of 30 men, and then throws it there and then disappears. This is Samson. 